Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. In the wake of the 2018 campfire that decimated the Northern California city of Paradise, PG&E officials framed such devastating wildfires as a relatively new phenomenon exacerbated by climate change. A frontline KQED investigation found that in reality, PG&E was well aware of the threat and resisted implementing safety protocols to prevent wildfires for over a decade. The investigation uncovered repeated pushback against regulations that perhaps could have saved lives. And also at fault is the California Public Utilities Commission, which was too overwhelmed and under-resourced to properly regulate PG&E. We want to discuss the investigation as we head into yet another wildfire season with Kate Words. She's an investigative reporter for Frontline, co-author of an investigative report from Frontline and KQED, which I mentioned on PG&E's repeated resistance to adopt safety regulations to prevent wildfires. And Kate Worth also uh, distinguished herself as a San Francisco Examiner reporter for a number of years, and she's from Chico. Her family is still up there, so this has local resonance for her. And Kate, good to have you with us. Welcome. Yeah, I'm so glad to be here. Well, the headline uh, of the report kind of says it all alliteratively, uh, deflect, delay, defer on reforms. That's been going on for 10 years, PG&E pushing back against regulation for a decade. And the report goes into details, fine granular details, I must say. And uh, you came about this really through some serious research in the documents and hearing. It's an important work and it's damning. It's damning of PG&E and it's damning of the PUC. Yeah, um, we we got started on the story because Frontline produced a film called Fire in Paradise last fall, which was, of course, about the campfire that killed more than 80 people and burned down an entire community. And my colleagues, uh, Karen Pynchon and Lucy Sullivan and I were doing some poking around at whether PG&E should have been more prepared, if they should have already taken more of these fire safety measures than that they've been rolling out more recently. And as we started talking to people, um, we heard that people told us, you know, PG&E's regulator, the California Public Utilities Commission, actually had a whole rulemaking proceeding that was supposed to make PG&E and the other utilities safer against fire. And that started back in 2008. And so we wanted to see, well, what happened with that proceeding um, and what did it achieve and what didn't it achieve? So we started reading through these hundreds of filings from the proceeding, which lasted the better part of a decade. And as we did, we kind of gradually pieced together this pattern where PG&E was resisting these fire safety measures that were proposed, even simple ones. So these are fire measures that are in the, the company now, not only it embraces, but it's always um, publicly pointing to, to show how seriously it's taking fire safety. 
And um, if it's okay, I'll give you a couple of quick examples. Yeah, I was just going to ask you to highlight, actually, I think uh, you really got into particularly, you focused on three proposed rules that were delayed and were deferred and so forth. Talk about those. Yeah, so one of them was this proposal that was made in 2008 that the utilities be required to track and report every single fire that their equipment causes. And um, it's one of those no-brainer things that I think most people would assume was already in place. But at the time, uh, the rule was that utilities only had to report fires that burned more than 100 acres. But safety advocates said, you know, tracking even small fires, fires that didn't go anywhere or they were put out right away would help the utilities identify problem spots and like equipment that regularly failed. Um, So, you know, that seems to make sense, but PG&E spent years arguing against that proposal. They called it a, quote, waste of commission staff and utility time. They called it an unnecessary cost. Um, They worried that it was going to increase their liability. Uh, The commission finally mandated the rule, but that was only in 2014, which was after six years of delays. Um, And then when we asked PG&E about this recently, they didn't say anything about why they pushed back for so long, but they told us that the data from this mandate provides a, quote, invaluable tool. So they now see the value of that proposal. Um, And there's a hero in this before we get to the other two things that the investigation focused on. Uh, I just want to mention him, Joseph Mitchell, San Diego physicist, who really uh, got a lot of this going in this report, particularly that we're talking about now that took six years, but the other things you're going to be talking about as well. He's a sort of populist hero. Yeah, he um, was a really special person. So these proceedings are kind of obscure to the public. Um, They are at least very poorly publicized to the public. Um, And often it's just, um, it was described to us as a wall of utility attorneys on one side of each issue. And then just a handful of fire safety advocates or fire officials, local officials that had heard about the process and got involved um, on the other side of the issues. And one of those people who was who lasted the longest and who was most involved was uh, Joseph Mitchell and his wife, Diane Conklin. Um, he's an engineer. Um, she's a lawyer. But more importantly, they, they live in San Diego and their home very nearly burned down twice um, due to utility fires. And... Um, Mitchell said that he had this moment of epiphany when he realized that the reason utilities cause so many bad fires is that the same factor that causes power lines to come down, which is high winds, also then causes those fires to get really big and turn into conflagrations, right? And he just didn't think that utilities were taking the risk seriously enough. So he he and his wife spent literally thousands of hours over the course of more than a decade to make sure to push utilities to be more fire safe. That's the second focus that I was talking about with the tripartite uh, or triad of uh, things that the investigation focused on, the the contingency plans for extreme wind, which uh, were not put into place until 2018 and still are lacking wind data. Uh, and I thought we could talk about the third briefly. He wanted, uh, and, and again, Mitchell was, Joseph Mitchell was very involved in this too. He wanted detailed maps and identifying fire prone areas. That would seem like a no brainer. But again, delay, wall of attorneys. 
Yeah, um, the PG&E, they were sort of open with to the idea, but they wanted it to only be these maps to be advisory, voluntary, they didn't want them to be enforceable. They didn't want them to kind of have any, um, they didn't want to pay for them, they didn't want any impact on their bottom line. They wrote over and over again in these filings, they wrote, do not adopt. Um, in one case, they wrote, this proposal should be rejected outright. It overreaches in many respects, including the fact that it proposes the maps be funded by the utilities. So they worked to water down these proposals. Um, Joseph Mitchell actually wrote, <laughs> he was very upset because he found that one detail that he thought was very was essential to the maps that they include detailed wind data had been pulled from the requirements. And he said, he wrote in a filing, we've been promised a steak and that has been turned into a hash and then put into a stew, which has been used to make a soup. The commission must now pull the steak back out of the soup. There's some irony here though, Kate, uh, we're talking to Katie Worth, uh, who's investigative reporter for Frontline. Uh, a lot of these uh, policies, in fact, I'm thinking particularly about uh, utilities in Southern California. There was a risk re reduction technique that was used by other utilities for years. They're called reclosers and they test uh, actually the halt, uh, the flow of electricity. And then uh, there's uh, an immediate attempt to restore, which uh, was considered more of a risk in terms of fires. Uh, both Southern California Edison since 1956 and San Diego Gas and Electric since 2007 uh, block reclosures during fire season, but PG&E uh, had no policy on that. And, and, and again, uh, nothing happened until 2018, and that was largely, here's another hero's name, Jerry Hill, Senator over uh, here in the North Bay, excuse me, in the South Bay. Um, and they lied. They lied about reclosures. There, they were, there was no policy, uh, and yet they said there was a policy. I mean, this is all sort of lawyer double talk, really. Yeah, I mean, this happened in a in a public hearing. Um, Senator Jerry Hill asked all three utilities what what their reclosure policies were, um, what, because reclosers are kind of famous for starting fires, and San Diego Gas and Electric and SoCal Edison, their their representatives each said, "Well, our policy is to turn off reclosers during fire season. That's." The safest thing to do. And then PG&E's senior VP at the time, Pat Hogan, um, it was his turn to answer. And what he said was that their recloser policy was, quote, very similar to my colleagues. And that just wasn't true. Um, they had started kind of a, a um, you know, they'd started poking around at it, but only a couple hundred of their, a few hundred of their reclosers could have the ability to turn off <laughs> at the time. And um, this all became clear a couple years later when a PG&E recloser started a serious fire in the North Bay and um, they were kind of caught in their, um, in their double speak as you, as you called it. Katie Worth is with us. She's an investigative reporter for Frontline. What do you think about PG&E's safety record and the handling of wildfire risk? We haven't even talked about the PUC here, which played certainly a very significant role in terms of not going through the kind of reforms that were considered necessary and that were put forward. If you have questions about the company's efforts to reform and prevent wildfires, please feel free to give us a call right now. Our toll-free number is 866-733-6786. The number again for your calls, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email us, forum at kqed.org. 
I want to talk about the CPUC. We want to get our callers and listeners involved in this too, Katie. But I have to ask you, uh, what's been the response of PG&E, uh, particularly response in light of the fact that we uh, we have fires going again throughout the state of California? And uh, uh, I know that uh, they have been talking about now being state of the art and really realizing their mistakes and sort of getting religion or, as they used to say, you know, coming to some spiritual transformation of some kind. Uh, they put out all the rhetoric. Uh, did you get any response from them to this report? Yeah, you know, they um, they didn't directly answer our questions about why they pushed back so hard for so long on these, um, on these measures. Um, but instead, they sent us a kind of a long email describing all, uh, mostly describing like all the transformations that they're that are underway. Um, they are say they say they are quote working to imagine the company as one driven by safety and consumer service. Um, and they pointed to all the improvements the company has made and all the ones that are to come. And um, these last few years seems to have you know chagrined them. And they are they promise they're in the process of a transformation. But well, forgive me. They are replacing power lines with insulated tree wire, for example. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of, they have made a lot of changes, um, but time will tell if it's enough and if their efforts are sincere. Boy, as your report points out, though, they knew that the drought and the bark beetle uh, trees dying off as a result of bark beetles were uh, ongoing problems and had to somehow find some kind of uh, resolution or change or solution. And yet, uh, uh, there was a lack of vigor uh, and, and a kind of brazenness, uh, I think, is the only way to describe it. Let me get a caller on here. Frank joins us from up in Davis. Frank, good morning. Yes, good morning. Um, I have a small farm uh, west of Davis. I've been here 42 years. I'm a biologist. And I've always been concerned about uh, the fires that I have had because of birds that electrocute themselves near transformers. I tried many, many times to... Uh, uh, find out what was going on. I finally got a biologist, a uh, PG&E biologist, and I asked him, why aren't they working on this problem and trying to prevent this? And he frankly said they don't want to put the money into it. Now, things may have changed now, but uh, it's, it's a, in the country like this. It's, uh, it took me another three years to get even just recently uh, spikes up so that birds would not land and then electrocute themselves. Well, Frank, I'm sorry that you went through that, and I sort of hear the frustration in your voice, and I appreciate hearing from you, and I thank you for the call. Uh, I'm going to read an email from Carl who writes, what options do we really have when it comes to PG&E? Every regulation seems to make them raise rates, which are already high, and every time we don't regulate, we lose homes. feels like we can't win as the people of California. Uh, Katie Worth, that sounds kind of bleak. Uh, at this point, though, um, one can understand that kind of bleakness or pessimism. Uh, I was surprised that, that PG&E didn't raise rates, uh, frankly. And I wondered, as much as I respected and in many ways greatly admired really Sylvia, admired Siegel, Sylvia Siegel, Siegel from Turn, from Turn. Uh, the um, utility reform uh, agency or network, uh, who were always talking about rates, they kind of interfered to some degree, I, I discovered through your investigation. Yeah, um, you know, there, it's a complicated issue because, you know, it costs money. These, these changes cost a lot of money. And, um, you know, to get to your callers, you know, comment before we did read in the, 
in the records that they frequently were, they talked about the cost of the fire safety measures. Um, but it's also a little bit mysterious because they, they could have upgraded their systems and passed those costs along to consumers as rate increases. That's exactly and so what I was I, saying. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, turn often is on the side of has been, you know, a really essential played a really essential role in kind of keeping the utilities honest. Um, but in this case, they didn't participate very much because um, what I've heard is because it's it's largely it was a it was a cost issue. They were worried that 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 rate payers were going to be left holding the bill. Of course, they are still, <laughs> right? <laughs> they will be paying for this for a long time. Um, but the other thing that we found in the record, we, I mean, we never really got a clear answer on why PG&E was so resistant to these changes. But one of the things that we found was they were always arguing that Northern California just didn't face the same fire risks as Southern California. And since almost all their territory is in Northern California, they were arguing that they shouldn't be held to the same standards as Southern California utilities. And there's a little truth to that. I mean, SoCal Edison has to face, you know, the Santa Ana winds every fall, and that makes them very prone to fire. And Cal the Northern California doesn't have those winds. But, you know, the fire officials that we spoke to pointed out the wind-driven fires have always been part of California's, Northern California's landscape, and it's not something new that nobody could have ever foreseen or something. Yeah, but it's easy to blame the Santa Ana winds. Uh, let me get another caller on with us. Uh, we're a little spare on time here. Charles joins us. Charles, welcome. Hi. Uh, thanks, man. Um, thanks for having me. Uh, I, I just wanted to comment that I, I, it feels like the focus on one utility seems pretty myopic in the face of thousands of fires in Northern California every year. And maybe the bigger problem is that local communities tax incentivize homeowners to build homes or rebuild homes in high fire threat districts where we know they're going to burn down. I'm just wondering if there's any focus on that as the bigger problem. Well, Charles is right. I think uh, we would agree, Katie Worth. Uh, that's that. That may be a, indeed a bigger problem than PG&E, but that was not the f focus of your investigation. And in fact, as I said earlier, the focus also got to the problems with regulation. Are we entered better off now in terms of the CPUC, the California Public Utilities Commission, because uh, they just were not aggressive enough? They didn't have experts. That now they've hired a few engineers. Uh, can you address that? Yeah, um, they say that they have. You know. The people that we talked to inside the commission just said that the commission was really um, understaffed while they were while they were running this rulemaking proceeding. They didn't have a single staff member that was focused on wildfire safety while they were trying to regulate the agency, the, the utilities. Um, that's been changed thanks to a couple of state laws. They now have funding. They have a whole unit focused or more than one unit focused on utility safety. Um, they say that they've improved, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's the regulator kind of often got bowled over by these, this deep bench um, from the utilities. Katie Wirth, uh, congratulations on the report and thank you for joining us in this segment of Forum. Appreciate it very much. Yeah, very glad to be here. Thank you. Katie Wirth, investigative reporter for Frontline, and we have come to the end of this hour. I appreciate your being with us for the hour and hope you will join Mina Kim in the hour up ahead. And uh, for all of us here at KQED Public Radio, simply two words, stay safe. I'm Michael Krasny.
Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.